we have a very special guest today, Stephen Harville, an educator, communicator, and consultant, is the founder and president of Creative Ventures, a strategic consulting firm based in Dallas, Texas, a leading strategic thinker and consultant to Fortune 500 companies. Steve uh, has integrated a holistic approach to developing organizational principles. A scientist by education, Steve brings a unique perspective to both his research and presentations. Steve is the author of 21 Secrets of Million Dollar Sellers, America's Top Earners Reveal the Keys to Success, as well as a number of articles and publications dealing with effective management skills and the future of leadership in our chaotic world. He travels internationally, consulting with a diverse range of clients, including American Express, Wells Fargo, IBM, Microsoft, and Apple. And here's the man himself, Stephen Harville. Welcome, Steve. Hey, Doug. Thanks for having me. I feel so honored to get a chance to visit. Well, the honor is all mine, Steve. I can see your guitar in the background, and I yes. I, uh, I might have to have you play a tune for us here in a minute, but, but let's... <laughs> Let's go first things first. You know, we know that um, the biggest uh, topic of conversation over the last year has been COVID, right? So um, I thought it would be interesting to kind of talk to you about, you know, your whole uh, career and everything you do um, with Creative Ventures involves you being around a lot of people, uh, being in crowds, being at conventions. And when COVID came, uh, you know, I was wondering how that impacted you. Can you tell me a little bit about what what through your mind when it happened and maybe what what you did to overcome it? Well, um, luckily, Colin, who runs the Dallas office, made some adjustments really rapidly, um, like a year ago in February, saw stuff coming. Um, And so despite having to shift the way you deliver content, right, the principles of of having original content, dynamic delivery, making them applicable to the people so they can use those skills right now, that formula hasn't changed. Uh, It just is how you deliver that formula is a little different. And even in the delivery aspect of it, it's not that much different. You're you're shortening um, ideas, you're, you're making segments a little smaller, you're experimenting with participatory exercises so that people can be involved in it. But after you do that for a little while, like maybe by March or maybe April of last year, you pretty much had figured out what really worked well for you and what worked well for your client. So uh, despite the fact of, um, you know, I would, I would travel so much that I would always think to myself, God, I wish I didn't have to get out, get out of bed early and go catch that 5 a.m. flight. But now I kind of miss getting up at 5 a.m. and going and catch that flight. Did it impact you know, from a, a revenue standpoint, you're a business, you, you're, you've been doing this for 37 years now. And, and did it, did it impact your revenue stream significantly? Uh, and, and did you, and if so, did, did you make those changes to, to kind of adapt and rebuild? It definitely had an impact on revenue. I mean, a, a drastic impact. Um, one of the, the, things about creative ventures and we've been different sizes over the 37 years with employees and stuff um, is that I pretty much shrank it down as small as it could almost get maybe five or six years ago, seven years ago. 
And um, we, so we're nimble, right? We're able to move and do things very rapidly. We don't carry any debt structure. So with no debt structure, you have a lot more flexibility. Um, you have a, a, a lot more things you can do when you're not servicing that large um, burden, that 60 pound stone on your back. Um, so though it had a radical impact on us revenue wise, we were still okay. You know, we were never to the point where um, we weren't at least okay. You probably had stuff booked on your calendar. Oh, full calendar. Yeah. yeah right. So, so you had your clients calling you saying, Hey, uh, we're going to have to cancel these events. Yeah. And, and for, you know, contractually, there's a clause in there that handles stuff like that. But if you're a good client, um, they pretty much rolled everything into 2021. Um, yeah. uh, the problem with doing that was they, they had no dates. Mm-hmm. So you have this gob of business that has no defined structure to it. And so um, the problem became, as people started looking at, at getting together again, everybody wanting similar dates. And you couldn't do that, right? You, you can't do that. So it's kind of like you're trying to manipulate the calendar and manage time based upon a hunk, a huge hunk of business that got pushed into the into an undeterminable future. So, so did your, I mean, you really advise um, the, these companies that you're, are your clients, did they uh, come to you and say, Steve, what do we do? What, you know, cause you, you, you talk about and you teach adaptability, cause and effect. Um, you know, problem solving. And here's a huge ass problem. <laughs> Did they come to you and say, Hey, Steve, we need help, um, uh, communicating to our employees. You know, we're sending them all at home now and they're working from home. We need help. Yeah. In fact, it caused us to design a program called the purposeful start, um, which was a strategy around, you know, if you remove the social fabric from a person's life, where they get a lot of their purpose driven, they're now responsible for driving that purpose themselves. And that's a very difficult thing to do. So we helped companies along lines like that. We coached a lot of people on camera presence, you know, um, but companies are wicked smart and they're adaptable too, because they're solving problems all the time. A a lot of our clients just came to us and said, "Um, we'd like you to present this in this manner on this date, is it open? You know, so there were a lot of a lot of the drive didn't just come from us. It came from clients who were automatically taking a look at what they were going to do. And um, so it was kind of a a little bit of a combination. Uh, Tell me a little bit about some of the things you're doing now to accommodate kind of your virtual audience through through your clients, you know, from from the point of where you're at now, you know, camera and and interfacing with an audience that are all online now. The the. like I said, the core doesn't change. Original content, dynamic delivery, participation towards a skill set that allows them to apply it now. So that form, that three-part formula doesn't change. Um, what changes for us is then how do you create, when you don't have the energy of being in person, that transference of energy, how do you create that in a virtual space, right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to use an artifact. Is that okay? That's fine. Okay. A prop. Can you use a, pro- a prop? Yeah. That's I love props. So I have one here. So this is my slinky energy model. This is how energy works, right? If when it when it works best, it flows kind of back and forth, and there's an equal give and take between a presenter and a participant um, in in the best of environments. But when you start to go virtually, sometimes it goes like this, 
and it doesn't flow anymore. And it takes you a little experience and practice to get back to that even exchange of energy, right? That kind of flow. So we experimented until we got back to the right slinky flow. And that meant smaller pieces, but stop every once in a while, give an exercise to be done by the people that are participating, prep them for that exercise ahead of time so that they're ready for it. Um, and by adding those little elements in, you create um, that, uh, it's a poor substitute for being in person, but it's also a pretty good deal for the participant. To be connected, you know, I mean, yeah. the connection is still there. It might not be the same connection of live in person, but it's a connection nonetheless. And you just kind of yeah. deal with the cards that are dealt and you say, we're going to roll with this. That's exactly right. And then you have to kind of position it, right? How long is the gap between one exercise and another exercise? How, how, how long will someone pay attention um, in this type of environment? And if you follow that original formula, right, original content, dynamic delivery, participation to a skill you can apply, they'll pay attention to you. Uh, I visited you in uh, your home in Austin um, about a year ago, and uh, you showed me, you know, the different uh, books and the different languages, and, and you were kind of telling me some stories about, about the experience of after the book was completed and, and what was involved with that. So tell us about your book. I'd like to know, you know, who's your publisher. And for those out there who don't know when you write a book and it's got value around it and uh, a publisher like Simon and Schuster gets a hold of it, what happens and, and what inspired you to write the book? I guess we'd start with that. The most common question I have been asked my entire career is, do you have a book? Yeah. And I would always say, no, nah, I, I really don't have one. And they would say, why don't you have a book? And I would say, have you ever written a book? And they would go, no. And I'd say, well, that's why I don't have one. It's really hard to do. <laughs> um, the, and this is on, the book only deals with one strategy in our platform, right? It only deals with our sales part, not leadership, not story, not um, client experience, not problem solving, but just sales. Um, and I had, I had a sales platform that had been very successful for us that took me two years interviewing over 300 people to create. So the content for the book was already done, basically. And when I mentioned it to somebody, they said, oh, you know, we'll publish that right now. And we'll do all of this stuff for you. And it'll, and it'll only cost you $60,000. And I went, you want me to pay you $60,000 to publish my book? And they go, yeah. I said, I'm not interested. And it made me think about sending the idea to a, a, a friend of mine who was an agent. I didn't know she was a top literary agent, but she is. When she got it, she goes, well, I'll, I'll go sell this book. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, people will pay you money to write it. And I go, no, I don't think so. And she goes, give me a week. And a week later, there were seven companies, I think, as I, as I recall, bidding for the content. Um, and uh, I, I said, wow. And, and she goes, I recommend you go with Simon and & Schuster. And, and she said, uh, uh, by the way, uh, they're going to send you this big old thick contract to sign. And once you sign it, you have to write this book. I mean, you, you can't have your ex-surfer, tennis bum, scientist thing where go, nah, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Yeah, it, you have to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, which then gave me the... You know, I, I, I taught myself how to write the book and, and, I, and I, I studied other writers. I looked at other methodologies. I hired 
the best editor, Lauren Lipton, who's brilliant, and she helped me. Um, and then I got into the flow and I started, okay, this is how you do it. You know, and I started, and the next thing you know is you have a manuscript and it goes to them. And the next thing you know is it's a book in a bookstore and on Amazon and in foreign languages and an audio book and on the Kindle and all sorts of stuff. So, so the name of the book uh, is 21 Secrets of Million Dollar Sellers. How, what made, where did the title come from? How, where did that? Well, my... My title was uh, Repeatable Successful Acts, RSA. Uh, I remember that. Um, yes. Uh, Simon and Schuster didn't like that. Um, they get to name the book. You, you don't name your own book. Maybe Stephen King names his own books, but Stephen Harville does not. <laughs> um, and so uh, uh, they named it. Um, and I, I didn't like the name all that much because I don't like the idea that there are secrets. Right. Like there's some guy sitting in a cave with a leather book who has the secrets to a good marriage. Uh, the secrets to losing weight. Here's the secret to scrambled eggs. Here's the secret to whatever. So for me, it was, I, I didn't like the word, but Simon and Schuster loved the word and they were obviously right. So um, you yield to a company that's got 125 years of publishing experience. Well, at, least, at least they didn't make you change your name like they did with some of the, the rock stars back in the day. We will now call you B Billy Idol. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, okay. No, didn't have didn't have to do, do that. that. They let me keep my my nom de plume. Good, good for them, and, and good for you. Uh, so the repeatable successful acts. I've um, I've taken that little nugget um, that you uh, talk about and teach people, uh, and use it in my own practice uh, because it's very relatable. <laughs> Uh, ironically, uh, because you you told me that you literally would be you were hired by uh, co companies, and you would tell me that you would literally travel to your, the top three salespeople, and I'm paraphrasing, you know the details, but, and you would, you would sit with them, ask them what they had for breakfast, when they check their emails, uh, when do they go to bed? Uh, some questions that you'd think, well, what does that matter? I, you know, uh, some of the things that normal people would think that can't be a recipe for success, but you thought differently about that. Tell, tell me about that process. We were, we asked everybody the same 10 questions. They were all the same. They all started with what, what's called a Socratic opening or tell me. And so um, it allowed the participant to tell me a story. And I was looking for the stories of what they did. And um, the questions that we asked were really more around what I was interested in because it wasn't originally research for a book, right? It was research for a presentation and an educational class and a platform strategically. Uh, and so I was asking them things that interested me. How did they manage their time? Tell me about their, their top skill sets. Tell me about how they manage their big clients versus their small clients. They were just things that interested me. And I, I whittled them down to the same 10 questions for everybody, all 300 of them. I see. And then you, you found the, the common elements of each yeah. one and they, and, and basically said, Hey, Eureka, I think I've got an idea. <laughs> We're, we're really, really good at pattern recognition. Pattern, yeah. And, and this was pattern recognition. And, and uh, you waited through hundreds of hours of, of interviews uh, to find those things that were all shared. So, so the book, if you're a sales man or woman, um, that, that are, your job is to sell things, this would be a great book for, for them. Is that right? Um, Benjamin Franklin, when he was 22 years old, 
took all the money he had in the world with his friend and he bought the Pennsylvania Gazette, little newspaper. And he wanted it to be the biggest newspaper in all the colonies. So he called in his little ragtime bunch of kids that were delivering the paper. And he said, we got to sell more papers in hotels and coffee shops. I want it everywhere. Um, and one of the kids, according to legend, looks up at Franklin and says, we're delivery, we're not sales. And Franklin looked down at him and said, everybody is sales. Hmm. And so that idea of, of the fact that we're all doing some form of that, no matter what we do, is kind of the, I think, the reason the book's been so popular. I looked at some of the clips that I think I might have actually uh, edited for you back in the day. And I, I, I was watching um, you when you looked much like you do now with no, the, no beard, uh, but, but a little <laughs> younger, a little more hair. Um, the quote was, you have two jobs as a leader, you said. You have two jobs as a leader in what you do. The first is to create more leaders. The second is to deal with cause and not effect. You must be able to rise above the panic associated with effect and deal with cause. That's the job of a leader. Remember that? Yeah, I was really smart back then. Apparently. Yeah, yeah apparently. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. The other thing was energy is everything. How do you how do you carry energy from a meeting? You and I have talked about before. How do you leverage? Um, you know, you have this big convention and and all this energy. Everybody's excited and it's a multiple day convention and lots of stuff going on. But when the meeting's over, what happens, Steve? Yeah, we call that the last cab leaving. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the last guy at the meeting gets in a cab. He leans out the window. He waves and says, that was a fantastic meeting. Bye. And he drives to the airport. And all the people that spent all this time and effort relax. They, 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 the meeting's over for them. And they're looking at the next meeting. That's not the right way to look at it, right? They've spent untold amount of imagination, creativity, to develop all of this stuff that made that guy say that there's a method for capturing that after they leave. Right. And reestablishing that energy for a guy seven days after the meeting. Um, we call it uh, uh, the, the general term we use at creative ventures is called a post blast. It's blasting that energy out after the meeting. Um, we also believe that there's a pre blast that you blast stuff out before they get there. So the meeting actually starts before the meeting. Um, and it's important to do that. It's it, most the reason being is that most people get all jazzed up and they get back and they don't do anything different. Yeah, they, they don't. They, don't. It's, it's, they sit in their office and are like, dang it. Now, now I'm back to the grind. Um, yeah. You know, um, it's, it's a it's it, it, we call it the whirlwind of your daily life. You leave that and you go back to the whirlwind of your life that involves emails and meetings and phone calls and projects. And there's no space you've given no space for something a little different that could benefit all of that. Well, speaking of space, you know, you, the, oh, the, uh, the I'm, I'm going to use it, Steve, the clip, the, um, the, you know, the movie where he's thinking and his boss walks in and goes, what are you doing? He's like, I'm thinking, well, stop thinking and get back to work. Who is that? It's actually a scene from The Fugitive um, where Tommy Lee Jones goes up to one of the deputies who's just sitting on a table and he yells at him, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm thinking. And Tommy Lee Jones goes, well, think me up a chocolate donut and get it over here. Right. Um, but that thinking part, yeah, is the very, yeah. I think that, you know, you talk about planning and, and sometimes you do have to let an hour or maybe even a day or maybe even a week go by in order for you to get 
you know, you can just shoot randomly at, at what you think is right, but maybe it's good to stop and think first. It is. It's one of those. Um, uh, we have a law in the company that that, um, that says speed should never outweigh thought, ever. Mm-hmm. And so that idea of rush impacts thinking, and thinking is a very valuable thing. Where it should be encouraged, not discouraged. Well, today's in today's environment, the uh, instant gratification. It's it's. You know, I even see you know with my own kids and even people that are even a little younger than me that, that got caught up into this rush, 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 hurry, 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 hurry time. It's like they're on this treadmill. One of the chapters in the book is called Master of Your Day. And that these great producers were all masters of their time, right? Um, if you're, a, let's say your energy pattern, for me, I'm a morning guy. So, right, I'm at my best early in the morning till about two o'clock. After two o'clock, I do unbelievably crappy work. So I don't do anything important after two. Um, and for me, um, I do my best deep work early in the morning and I don't even turn on my email programs. I won't look at it. I won't listen to it. I turn my phone off. I'm doing deep work, important you work. You turn your phone off? I turn everything off because it's what it, the, the work that I'm doing requires that of my attention. It requires everything I've got in order to be sure it's of the best quality. So you and discard the fact you discard the fact that somebody might need to get a hold of you or what if all those. What- I'm not waiting for a kidney transplant. <laughs> no, nobody's going to call me with something that the end of the world is going to happen if I don't pick up the phone. No one's going to send me an email that will shift the gravitational pull of the planet. It's, <laughs> I, you know, for me. I, I, I need to control my highest and best use of time. Uh, it, and so I, I do that. I don't allow that to happen. And then I'll go check it when I'm done. And, and so I think you have to look at time as being segments of activity, not segments of time, right? Don't look at it as the unforgiving minute. Look at what activities are you using to fill that minute and then manage the activities. Um, it's not so much about time. You really can't manage it. The arrow of time only moves forward. Um, and so you, you, what you can manage are the activities that fill time. And that's how you have to look at it and manage those a little better so that you're not running around in a circle like water going down the drain. Well, you say, you know, manage it better, but there are people that go, well, how do I do that? I, I can't, I don't even know where to begin because I'm constantly needing things and I'm, and, and it might be turning off your device for, for people that'll give them a lot of anxiety. You know, this, the, the vibr the notifications that you get on Facebook and all these social media platforms and, you know, turning those notifications off, uh, to me, people would go, well, what if, what if I miss something? So how would you, how do you, dis- how, how would you tell somebody that they want to have more control of their time? Um, but they just don't know where to start. There's no magic bullet. There's no magic kind of formula. You, you end up by taking a look at the active, the things that you're doing. And you say to yourself, I don't have to do that at this moment. Think about it more like this. What's the difference between important and impact? And here's a really simple exercise anybody can do. Um, take uh, post-its. Okay, take your take post-its and take six of them and put them in two rows of three. Okay, mm-hmm. you with me? I'm with you. In the first row, write the two most important things you have to do tomorrow. 
In the second row, write the second most important things you have to do. Okay. And in the third row, write the third most important things you have to do. So you've got six activities listed. Okay. Two most important, two secondary, two tertiary, right? Mm -hmm. Now, um, go to that first row where you have two things and take one of them off. You don't get to do it. Just remove it. You don't get to do it. You have to choose between those two. Mm -hmm. Do that in the second row and the third row. And you'll end up with the three most impactful things, not the three most important things. Wow. Everybody has the time to do anything they want. Everybody has the same amount. Everybody can do whatever they want in their time. If someone says, I don't have time to exercise, I would say, do you have time to watch, uh, to binge watch a show? <laughs> yeah. Well, then all you do is move some of that binge over here. Right. The worst excuse someone can tell you is I didn't have time to do that. Because the next question should be, what did you do instead? Um, fear of failure. Uh, I know we've got about uh, 20 minutes left, but uh, this is another excerpt from um, a clip that you did. It was about a child taking its first steps. When Mary was a child, her parents saw that she was just about ready to take her first steps. And they would get down on a knee like this, and they would tell Mary, come on. And Mary would, be a, would hold on to something as a stationary base, and she would take a jittery, ragged first step, and another one. She didn't want to let go. It was more like she was going to do the limbo before she learned how to walk. And she'd let go and she'd balance for a second. And she would look directly into her parents' eyes. And you know when a child looks in their parents' eyes, they see God. That's God to them. And the parents would say, come on. And Mary would take a tentative step, and another step, and shake, and she would be caught in that Jimmy Buffett gravity storm again and do a butt plant. Boom, fall right down her butt. Now, I'm guessing Mary's parents didn't say, oh, geez, take her back, get me a new kid. This one can't walk. What they did was they said, get up. Get up. Get up again. Get up again. And you saw their smiling face, and you knew it was okay to fall down at that point. But then we go to school. Formal education teaches us to look for the eternal one right answer that never really exists anyway. And we're taught that that's wrong. A child brings home a report card that's got an A in math, an A in science, uh, uh, an F in English, uh, an D in geography, and we immediately take that report card and go to that F. And we say, how can you get an F in English? How can, what's the matter with you? When we should be doing just the opposite. We should be going with a lascivious grin in our face to those two A's. And we should say, you got an A in math and an A in science. Do you like math and science, Colin? I love math and science. I'm going to turn you into a math and science superstar. I'm going to take that F and I'm going to manage it up to a C. If you're spending your time looking at your weaknesses, you're wasting your time. If you spend your time looking at what you don't do well, you're wasting your time. Look at what you do well and learn how to do it better. Take your weakness and manage it up, and you will have a formula built on strength. And a formula on strength provides a foundation for success, but we're not very good at doing that as an American society yet, but we will be. In fact, that will be the model that will be built around the 21st century, strength, strength, management. Be good at what you're good at and manage what you're weak at. To think that anybody can get through this existence without major bumps and falls and stumbles and everything is ridiculous. Um, we're in problem-solving mode all the time because of that, right? 
Yeah. It, it's the idea that what can you do to bounce back from that? And, and people that are successful have high levels of bounce. Their bounce levels are high. They do this, they bounce back. They do this, they bounce back. Um, that idea, you, you know, I have a friend that's a songwriter, David Wilcox, and David wrote a song, and one of the lines was, falling down is as common as the rain. Um, it, it, you know, we just do that. It depends on how you get up. Um, and high bounce people are more successful. Um, normally, if you ask yourself, did the world end? And the answer is no, then probably you'll figure out a way to get back to what you were doing. Right. Nobody's got their finger on the world end fall down. Yeah. It's just another screw up. That's interesting. And, you know, and it is that the getting back up, things change, <clears throat> adapting to change. Um, but the fear of failure, I think that it's, uh, it's good to tell people how many times did Babe Ruth strike out, right? I mean, yeah. he failed more than he succeeded. All these analogies that we hear that it's okay to fail and don't be afraid to try because you're afraid of failing. I don't get that. I've spent half my life in fail mode. Right. I mean, you know, I, uh, if you if you surfed, you you fell down a lot more than you caught the wave. Yeah. More more than likely, uh, it's it, it kind of is a mindset, I guess. And uh, I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know what goes into it psychologically i just know that um you never yelled at your kid who was learning to walk who fell down you never screamed at that infant you dumb infant you can't even walk right right this one's you broken always, yeah i want a different one <laughs> you, you always as a parent would say um come on that's okay come on let's do it again i don't know why we stopped doing that somewhere along the line yeah believe me we're good problem solvers no matter what it is just tell us what's going on and we'll figure it out. We've figured out everything. Yeah. We'll be okay. Well, Steve, tell me what's, what's new in, uh, in your world. What are you working on currently? Um, during the zombie apocalypse of the last <laughs> year, uh, we not only shifted the way we delivered stuff, but we had time to work on three new platforms, right? Um, and every time we, when we have a strategy, it's referred to as a platform, a strategic platform. Um, so we worked on one for a client that became one for all of our clients around purpose. What's the idea of creating purpose in, in, a, in the time when we no longer have the social fabric of being together? So we have one on purpose. We built one on problem solving, which has been unbelievably popular, called the problem solution. What, how do you look at problems and what is a very simple formula that you could apply to any problem that appeared. And if you applied this very simple formula, um, the odds of your solution being better increase radically. Mm. That's one. And then the third one is the content for the next book, which is um, working title. I have to say working title. You're working on a second book. Um, it's called Anybody, Anywhere, and it's called The Entrepreneurial Spirit in Everyone. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute. So we got the one book, the sales book. Yeah. Um, it's been wildly successful across the world. And uh, when did you, what made you want to decide to write another book? You know, um, my agent and I were in New York. I don't know, obviously before this all happened, we were talking about stuff, whether I was going to do another one, we were booting around ideas and that idea kind of came up. And I wrote it down. And I didn't think that much about it. Um, I came back and I had some time. So I did, did a couple interviews with very successful entrepreneurs. And I built the same exact same um, methodology, 10 questions, ask them all. 
And as I started asking them, I started to see this was really interesting what uh, the mindset that is brought in, this way of thinking about things um, that entrepreneurs have. And it turns out that most people have similar ways of thinking about lots of different things, not just about business. Hmm. And so that started um, the idea. And I would say right now, I'm probably in the R&D phase of the next book. And what's Um, the name of the book again? Anybody, Anywhere. Hmm. Uh, The Entrepreneurial Spirit in Everyone. Wow, I can't wait for that one. I'm an entrepreneur, and uh, I I would love to kind of see what other entrepreneurs, you know, a lot of it, if, if I'm an entrepreneur and I would read this book, I'm hoping that I would be like, I, I do that. Ooh, I don't do that. I need to do that. Ooh, that's a good idea. You know, because it's almost speaking your own language. That would be exactly what I would hope the book would do. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you're in the beginning stages of that. Yeah, I've, I've started the research on it. I've talked with my editor. Um, I, I've worked on the proof of concept of the idea. Um, we're going to have a podcast at the exact same time. Nice. Uh, an Anybody Anywhere podcast. Um, so, uh, yeah, that one's kind of moving along. As I said at the beginning, it's hard to write a book. So, so you got the, you're working on the new book and, um, and you're working with clients virtually. Uh, when do you see getting back on the road? We have our first engagements at the end of July, the end Um, of July. Okay. Now I'm not sure if that's actually going to happen, but at the end of July, so the back end, uh, um, the third and fourth quarter are are full of engagements that are in-person engagements. Whether or not folks will be, you know, social distancing or wearing masks, no we don't know. Happen. We don't know. The I'm vaccines. Not a futurist. No, you're not. And that's what I love about you. I'm a pastist. You're I a pa- believe that yeah, I'm a pastist. Oh, well, I never yeah. heard of that, but it makes sense. Yeah, um, the past never lies. Future, I don't know about, but the past never lies. Well, uh, Let's see here. The, uh, the other thing. So t- r- r- real quick. So tell me about on your website, you've got these strategies and they're, they're, um, very nicely, uh, laid out. Uh, if anybody wants to go to the website, it's creativeventures.com. And if you scroll down from the homepage, you'll see a heading called strategies. And as you hover over the 21 secrets of million dollar sellers, you'll see sales and let's see dazzling blue says client experience, etc. Tell me about these, these strategies and, and um, you know, what, what you're doing with them with, for, for your clients. That's, that's all we do. Um, we, we create original platforms around ideas. The ideas have strategic significance. So that means they create impact for a client. Um, and we create them around um, macro subjects like sales or the client experience or the power of story or leadership, um, presentation, uh, problem skills. solving, yeah. decision making. Mm-hmm. And so those are the heart and soul of what we do. And so in, in the context of the greater thing, we only do three things. We're, we're either presenting those ideas, we're teaching those ideas, or we're applying those ideas internally for a company. And, and so those are all the, the kind of foundation points of the ideas that are currently in play. We usually have seven platforms in play at any given time. Okay. So uh, the, the power of, of three or less, complexity starts with what number? Four, always. 
Uh, my son, Always. my son, who's behind the the control panel, he's like, so that's where you got that from, because <laughs> you know you can remember, you know, get the if, from the simplest way of thinking of it for me is you know if your mother when your child sends you out to get um, things from the grocery store, you can remember milk butter and a loaf of bread. But as soon as she says, oh, and some paper towels, that complexity starts there. For some reason, our minds can really only comprehend, you know, uh, three. And t- tell me a little bit about that, uh, of why that's important. The, there's a ton of science behind it, right? I don't necessarily need to go into the science. But the idea that the brain handles three things okay, um, it handles two things really well. And it is an expert at handling one thing. So the idea of breaking the barrier, what we call the, th- the three-part barrier to the fourth element, the brain immediately rebels against it. It rebels against five. It rebels against six, 10, 20, all the way, the way. But if you're hanging at three, the brain will almost always get it. We were working with a company who was putting a marketing plan together that had the 10 most important aspects. And before I even started, I stopped and I said, no one cares about four through 10. No one. You need to be, and and you're not restricted to three forever, right? If you had three parts to it and you completed this part, you can bring another part in and make it three again. Because simplicity is is a word that is is in your DNA. I mean, there's so much complication in in, in people's uh, deliveries of how things work, and um, but to simplify it so that it's a universally understandable concept. Uh, that's the essence of what you are, is finding a way, a common language that is simple, um, that is elegant, and uh, you've changed the word from uh, powerful. Bo- powerful. It used to be bold, um, but it's the same same concept. And and it's hard for people. Apple is a, is a classic example of how they um, were able to make something seem so simple, but yet it's very complex behind the hood. Yeah, it's like an electric toothbrush. Uh, you have one button that you hit that turns it on and off. To you, it's very simple. But if you open that up and looked inside, you'd see a complex motor of waterproof parts and circuits that connect. Um, but the outside of it for you is one button on, one button off. The, the, the idea of simple is, is enticing. It's intoxicating. And companies really love the sound of it. But the work to really make it happen doesn't happen all that often. It's hard work. Um, simple and easy are two different words, right? Easy is a lack of effort. Simple is a lack of complexity. So what you're looking for is how can I remove complexity? Last week, we did a, a, a quick project for someone that submitted a PowerPoint deck that they were going to use for this client presentation. And they were walking me through it. And I was walking through with them. I was taking notes, scribbling, drawing notes and stuff. And at the end, they go, what do you think? And I said, um, are you familiar with the Titanic? <laughs> and they said, yeah. How about the Hindenburg? Yeah. And I said, that program is as bad as the Titanic or the Hindenburg. Wow. Um, and so let's make it a little better um, on it. And so that, that idea of simple takes a tremendous amount of, you've, you've used this word a number of times in our talk, discipline. Mm-hmm. It's a disciplined approach. 
it's almost like a reverse engineering of it. You know, this is what needs to happen. And there's lots of moving parts, lots of complexity, technology. But how do I, talking about wanting to, uh, the power of influencing, the goal is to influence the outcome. You have to think that way. It's that discipline of thinking, I cannot get them to, um, to even become interested in this until I explain it in a way that's very simple to understand. And they don't really care about how it happens. They're bought into, oh, that makes sense. And that's hard. A lot of people struggle with doing that. I know that I spent an enormous amount of time trying to make something seem simple. I mean, even from an email response, I'll spend more time on an email because I want it to, I think about it. I want to make it sound simple for the client to go, that sounds great. Let's go for it. You know, but I, I didn't need to go into the details because I was paranoid that they might go, well, they, they're going to need to know how this is going to be done. Just start with something simple. And it was very easy to understand what you're going to do for them, how much it's going to uh, impact their their organization and the value behind it, and then here's how much it's going to cost. And if more times than not, they're going to go, that sounds great, let's do it. But a lot of us find ourselves messing it up with all sorts of words. And I think you have to design to the outcome, right? What's the desired outcome? And then design to that. If yeah. you're Herman Miller and you're designing a beautiful office chair, you know that the outcome is that the person is sitting in an ergonomically comfortable chair. Yeah. So you don't design it out of rock. You know, you design towards the desired outcome. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, lastly, uh, one of the things one of the things that uh, always impressed me with you, you've got a, a number of ways to keep your clients um, connected with you. Uh, you've got blogs, stories you mentioned, you got videos and you've got the newsletter, which you've been doing the, the Creative Ventures newsletter for how long now? God, I, I don't know. It's I gotta mean, be, I, it's gotta be 25 years, well, maybe more. I was going to say, well, I think when we met, you had recently started this cause you were trying to figure out you, you knew this was the format. You didn't want people's emails to get, kick it back. And you finally figured out kind of the application and the format it needed to be in, which is very easy to <laughs> That's easy to understand and see, but you've got how many people now that subscribe to your newsletter? Um, we're over 30,000. Good God. I mean, you yeah. list things on there that are not just business and, you know, tactics. Who are these people? Who are these people, right? <laughs> but, but but the reason I think they like them, this is back when Blockbuster was around, you would get the, the manager's uh, specials of movies to watch. You kind of took do up, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'll watch movies and you'll say this is something that will make my list, and how and you you post that on one of your newsletters. How often do you do those newsletters? The newsletter is every month. Every month, and there is a tremendous amount of pressure every month to write something new when you've been doing it this long. I can only imagine. It's I have to have it off to Dallas, the Dallas office for um, post production work the third Friday of every month, right? So. Was that last Friday? Was the third Friday? Yeah. And so you're like, you know, by when and I and I my week is made up of every day has a different theme for me. And Wednesday is my writing day. So on Wednesdays, I'm writing. And so I'm, I have a, a lot of ideas saved up. Right. Because I capture every idea I have. I capture mm -hmm. never escapes, always captured. And so I can go back and go through the ideas and stuff. But it's that pressure of every month of a new idea. Um uh, that would be a value to somebody that somebody would even want to read. Right. But we read them, Steve, I've been reading them. 
I forwarded them to colleagues and friends like, ooh, you got to see this one. It's just amazing. That's, the, the, that's very kind of Well, you, you spend a lot of time um, gathering the information. I mean, do you find that the time that you spend, I mean, that you don't get paid to do that. This is just no. a, something you, you do. You find it um, valuable. I, I don't want to say the words valuable, but you find it maybe fun, entertaining for you yeah. to do. Uh, yeah. On the wall behind uh -huh. me. That's the amount of effort that goes into one newsletter. That's the April newsletters okay. uh, content so far. So it, you, you know, it's not just sitting down and typing, right? It's looking at it, it's laying out, it's moving parts so that there's a real beginning, middle, and end, um, so that it makes sense. Why? Uh, why are so, the, yeah. the, tell me about the color codes and, and the stickies. Uh, a lot, a lot, uh, of, a lot of the newer folks and that have—I I don't want to say the word, the M word, the millennial—but they're very digital oriented. This is yeah, like, oh, I'm you, not. you have to write, and you know, you and me are a little older, uh, but. But the concept, though, uh, well, okay, I didn't want to say anything, <laughs> but uh, but but, you know, there's color codes, there's there's structure to it. Um, and yeah. you, you also use butcher block a lot of times to map out very complex things that. Yeah, that happens um, kind of over on that drawing board. Like there's a big. Oh, yeah. That's where the idea is originally um, what we call scribbled or sketched um, all the pieces are just thrown on there. There's no rhyme or reason to it, right? And then as you start to order it, all stories, and the newsletter is just a story, right, have a beginning, middle, and end. Mm -hmm. So the three categories are always beginning, middle, and end. And when you, the, the blues are always beginning, aren't, and then as you do it, you'll say to yourself, oh, that's not in the beginning, that should be in the middle. So they move around. So you could take um, and a sticker then, and move it, oh, this needs to be blue. And you, yeah. uh. and, then, and, then, and then the pink ones, are for areas that might be a problem or you need to look at that again. Wow. So when I look up there and I go pink, I said, I need to do that a little and I need to do that a little more over there. I um, need you to send me one of your sketches. Uh, Steve is an incredible uh, artist. I mean, his, his writing is very, I don't know even how to describe it, but it's it it's simply uh, it's, it draw. Like that. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Stuff like that. I mean, yeah. and I've seen you do it in person, and I'm like, how in the hell? Just a couple of scripts. So it's a very, it's a talent you have. It's a very creative methodology, of of you know arranging ideas into a a format that you that is applicable. Yeah, I'll send you. I'll send you. Uh, um, it's called sketch noting. Yeah. It's just a methodology of capturing ideas that I learned many, 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 many years ago. And I got a little better at it, a little better at it as I kept doing it and doing it and doing it. Um, it's not drawing. It's just capturing little things with images instead of words. Yeah, it's uh, a sketch, more of a sketch than you yeah, said. Yeah, it's a very loose, it's a loose sketch that I replace uh, words with images. That is amazing. So that, that I'll, send you a, I'll send you a video that we did for a client um, where we, ta we taught 3,000 different um, employees how to sketch. And I did a little sketch video to entice them to come to the meeting that we were doing. Oh, and I'll wow. send you a copy of that. I'd love to see that. We'll show uh, our audience that. And we'll post um, the link to your book and, and your website. Um, the, the blogs, is that something that you do in addition to the newsletters? The blog, is, yeah. The, uh, think of it as push and pull, right? Uh, the newsletter is push. If you want the stuff in the blog, you have to come to the website uh, for it. Got it. And the blog for me is is my writing about um, kind of just what I'm thinking. It, it may not, it may, like, 
you know, it may not be stuff that I would put in the newsletter, but I thought it was important enough to write about. Um, that's the, the blog. The blog is more just what I'm thinking about, whereas the newsletter is really a business tool. Do you think that the, the, the time that you spend in doing this, because again, you're not getting paid to do this. This is something, has it created dividends for you? Or? Um, think about what your product or service is. Is it a need or a want? Um, you have a car, you need car insurance. They make you have car insurance. You have a home and a mortgage, you need house insurance, right? Um, you, 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 you have a stuffed up nose, you need to go to a doctor. The want category is completely different. You've got a car that you're driving around now, but you want a new car. You don't need a new car, you just want a new car. Yeah. If you're in the want category, which is where I am and my company is, you have to have a methodology to stay top of mind, to stay in your client's sphere of knowledge of what they're paying attention to, of, of what they're thinking about. And that's the purpose of the newsletter, the Did You Know video series, the Over Coffee video series, the blog, all, uh, the LinkedIn uh, work. All of those are about um, top of mind. And that's why we do it. And it's worth its weight in gold. Um, we get more people. I'll, I'll get people that will send me questions about videos or blogs or newsletters that's telling me they're reading them. And I'll spend one day doing nothing but answering people's questions. Wow. It's almost like a diary. I mean, for you, I mean, it's your form of expression. It's a way for you to keep abreast of what's uh, relevant uh, to you. Yeah, it clarifies a lot of stuff. Every Thursday, Wednesday's my writing day, Thursday's my R&D day. So on Thursdays, I'm always doing research. I'm looking for support to an idea or I'm looking for an idea that I have that someone disagrees with, right? Mm. I'm looking for all of that stuff. And so I'll produce on Thursdays, We track it. I track everything in five by eight index cards. And so I'll, I'll write the subject and I'll do the sketching and, I'll, and those will become... Um, the, the content fodder for the creative stuff that we do. That's incredible. I love it. I love it. I, I, I would, you know, um, it, the discipline, I think that word that um, I, I accidentally said uh, might become kind of a theme for anybody who's watching this, that, that um, anything worth attaining requires a level of discipline and uh, everybody's uh, methodologies will vary but there are some common things that um, that Steve practices and, and teaches that can help you if you don't know how to do it. That's what these companies um, hire Steve to do is to to help them help themselves. And it's, it's just a joy to have you on the show. Oh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm jazzed to get to spend time together. And, and for me to talk about kind of what we do is, is always you know, it, it's just a fun thing. You know, we do stuff that's kind of, that, that's fun. And yeah. if anybody buys the book um, and I'll sign a, I'll do a signed book plate for them. Just send me like an email message that says, Steve, I got the book and, and I'll sign uh, a book plate and personalize it oh, that's with cool. a sketch and send it to them. Oh, that's awesome. That is so awesome. Yeah. I'd be glad to do that for anybody. Well, would you, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. I see the guitar back there. I know you're a parrot head. Is there anything that comes to mind that you could could, could play? Um, you like a Buffett song? Uh, that or or any yeah yeah anything anything that you yeah of course. Well, this is without warming up. I know. 
So, and I'm 65 years old. I kind of have to warm up. All so, right. So this well, is without well, warming up. So mistakes. Well, let me just. That's a, while you warm up for a second here. Let me let me say that one of the things that you said, most people don't realize that that Eric Clapton unplugged the first song on that album. I don't know if uh, you guys back there. Uh, it's a song that it's actually an actual song, but it's really what um, what he used uh, Clapton used to warm up to make him feel comfortable. Right? Tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, he was he was terrified. He had never done a acoustic uh, a straight acoustic thing before, so he wrote a wrote a little piece that was really a finger exercise that was just done in a melody. Yes, and I never knew that until you you found that piece of information out and 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 said it yeah, uh, in one uh, of your presentations. Um, he was one of the you know that that the MTV Unplugged series, which features unbelievable performances. The Stevie Ray Vaughan one is mind numbing. It's so good, but Clapton really put it on the map when he agreed to do that, and then he introduced the acoustic version of Layla um, at that, which that's no one had right. ever heard before. Yeah, that's right. All yeah. right, so what are you gonna do? I'm just gonna do uh, a thing called the Run. All right. Um, if I can remember it. Right, but put your camera down a little bit so I can see your fingers a little bit. There you go. No warm up. No warm up. Uh, that's clear. That's so cool. I missed that. But I haven't done that before. If, so. Give me an artist that I, that, that we, I should check out. You, last time you gave me like two or three that I instantly went and, and made a playlist for. Um, uh, let's see. Some, somebody new. Colin Hay. Oh, H-A-Y. Well, he's the one who was the, the Vegemite sandwich guy. Yes, he was the lead singer in uh, Men at Work. Men at work, and his acoustic stuff is phenomenal. Uh, Weston, have you heard of Colin Hay? Yes, I have. So my my yeah, son, uh, he, I can't get to sleep. I can't get to sleep. Yeah, that, I think yeah, about those the are, implications. You ought, you ought to hear his his acoustic stuff is um, um, waiting. One of his songs is called "Waiting for My Real Life to Begin." It's phenomenal. Mm, right, that's a good one. Um, I think that song is "Overkill." That acoustic. Yeah, that's also that's yeah, that's song. also Men at Work song. Yeah, those and he does great acoustic versions of all of those songs too. What about Alexi um, Murdoch? Check out. Check out uh, oh yeah, um, Orange Sky. Orange Sky. That's the song yeah. that my son. Know, I used to play. I think you introduced me to to him, yeah, Murdoch, and I learned yeah. that song. I love that song. And yeah. there's like a. a 500 versions of it now yeah there are yeah <laughs> try um uh try austin-based bob schneider s-c-h-n-e-i-d-e-r bob schneider phenomenal he's a god in austin good but his music's really really good and let me give you one more um of somebody that uh i hadn't heard about the bob schneider so that's a good that's a good one 
yeah, Schneider's really, really good. Um, Austin-based guy. Um, the band is called The 400 Unit. Mm-hmm. And the lead singer is... Um, Come on, guys. 400 Units. Google it. Look up The 400 never... Unit and give me the lead singer, whose name is escaping me right now. The 400 um, Unit. Uh, oh, geez. Hold on, hold on. I'm 65. This is why I can't remember The 400 Unit. 400 unit says Michael Jason Isbell Jason Mike, uh, Jason Isbell Isbell Jason Isbell in the 400 unit I think he's the best songwriter I've heard since Jackson Brown Really Period um Every- listen to um Am I the last of my kind um I cannot tell you wow. how good Jason Isbell is I don't have a I don't have an adjective I'm looking tell at him you how on, good a songwriter and singer he is. I got him here on YouTube, so I'm going to check him out. So let's conclude. That would be worth the entire interview. For right? People. I love it. Well, Steve, it's always a pleasure. Uh, you're, I consider you a great friend. Thanks for being on the show. Um, I look forward to your book. So keep me posted on when that. Uh, I, I was going to ask you when is it going to be done, but you don't. You can't. You know. You don't future. No, I'm not like. I'm not like. Lee Child, who writes Jack Reacher, who can write a book in 81 days. Right. I, I still have, I'm still working. You know, writing is just another thing. I've still got client work to do. Right, right. Well, I'm excited about hear, hearing about the, the new book. And um, you take care of yourself, pal. We'll talk to you, uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you so much, Doug. It was such an honor to be here. Oh, I'll do it again anytime. It's my pleasure.